0: Chapter 7 of Mystery of the Sea This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mystery of the Sea by Bram Stoker Chapter 7 From Other Ages and Ends of the Earth The last week in June of next year, 1898, found me back in Cruden. My own house was in process of building. I had purposely arranged with the builders that the fitting up and what the conveyances call beautifines should not be done until I should be on the spot myself next year to be consulted about everything. Every day I went over to see the place and become familiar with it before the plans for decoration should be taken in hand. Still, there was no enjoyment in getting wet every time I went and came or in remaining wet clothes so that my day was mainly spent at home. One of my first visits was to Peterhead, which seemed to be in a state of absolute activity, for the herring fishing had been good and trade of all kinds was brisk. At the market place, which was half full of booths, could be had almost everything required for the needs or comfort of life, such as it can be on a fishing boat, fruit and all sorts of summer luxuries were abundant. Being Saturday, the boats had returned early and had got their nets away to the drying grounds, and the men had been able to shave and dress tidily. The women, too, had got their dressing done early, the fish first and themselves afterwards. For a while I wandered about aimlessly among the booths, with a sort of unsatisfaction upon me which, had of late, been the prelude to many of the manifestations of power of second sight. This used to be just as if something within me was groping or searching unsuccessfully for something unknown, the satisfaction coming with the realization of the object of the search, presently, I came to an internet auctioneer who was dealing with a small cartload of odds and ends, evidently picked up in various places. His auction or route was on the Dutch plan, an extravagant price, according to his own idea, being placed on each article, and offered offer decreasing in default of bidders. The auctioneer was ready with his tongue, his pattern showed how well he understood the needs and ideas of the class whom he addressed. Here is the work of Rev. Robert William Macr of shot and Mabrish, in twelve volumes, while in the first and the last twa. Three damaged by use, but still full of power in dealing with the spiritual necessities of men, who go down to the great deep in ships. A sermon for every day of the year, and the Gaelic for them as has not got the English, and a good English for them as has. How much for the twelve volumes while in but three? Not a Bobby less than nine shilling Goin, goin, while says eight shillin for the lot, seven shillin and no less. Goin for six, five shillin for you, sir. Any bitter at four shillin? not a Bobby less than three shillin. Half a croon, any bitter at twelve Gone for you, sir. The nine volumes were handed over to a grave-looking old man, and the two shillings which he produced from a heavy canvas bag, duly pocketed by the auctioneer. Everything he had found some buyer, even a blue book seemed to have its attraction. The oddness of some of the odd lots was occasionally amusing. When I had been round the basins of the harbour and had seen the dressings and barreling of the fish, I again came across the auctioneer in the marketplace. He had evidently been using his time well, for the car was almost empty. He was just putting up the last article, an old oak chest which up to now he had used as a sort of table on which to display the objects for sale an old oak chest has always had charms for me and i was about furnishing a house i stepped over opened the lid and looked in there were some papers tossed on the bottom of it i asked the auctioneer if the contents went with the chest my real object being to get a look at the lot which seemed a very old one of steel though it was much damaged and lacked the key i was answered with a torrent of speech in true auctioneer fashion "Ah, good master take the lot just as it stands an oaken kiss hundreds of years odd and still worthy of rest in the house place of any man who has good cigar, it wants a key truth to tell but the lock is a fine odd one and it can easy fit a key moreover the contents be what they may are yours also see odd letters in some foreign tongue french i think yellow in age and the ink faded somebody's love letters i'm thinking come now young men here's a chance maybe if you're not that familiar in writing your arts out to the lassies you can get some hints for these they can learn ye, yeah, i warrant i was not altogether unaccustomed to auctions so I affected a nonchalance which I did not feel. Indeed, I was unaccountably excited. It might have been that my feelings and memories had been worked up by the scene again in the pier where I first had met Lechelon McLeod, and the moving life which then environed him. I felt coming over me the strange and palpable influence or tendency which had been a part of my nature in the days immediately before the drowning of the out-islander. Even as I looked, I seemed to feel rather than see fixed upon me the baleful eyes of the man in the ghostly procession on the Lamas Eve. I was recalled to myself by the voice of the auctioneer, The kiss and its contents will be sold for a guinea and not a bobby less. I take it, I cried impulsively. Doctrineer, who in his water streams had no hope of such a price, seemed startled into momentary comparative silence. He quickly recovered himself and said, The kiss is yours, good master, and that concludes the route. I looked around to see if there was present anyone who could even suggest, in any way, the appearance of the man in the guilty procession. But there was no such person. I met only Mirabelle Dictou, the greedy eyes of Gormala McNeil, That evening in my room at the Kilmanac Arms, I examined the papers as well as I could by lamplight. They were an old-fashioned style of writing, with long tails and many flourishes, which made them an added difficulty to me. The language was Spanish, which tongue I did not know, but by the aid of French and with a little Latin, I could remember and made out a few words here and there. The dates ranged between 1598 and 1610. The letters, of which there were eight, were of manifest unimportance. Short notes directed Don de Escoban, and merely arranging meetings. Then there was a number of loose pages of some printed folio, used perhaps as some kind of tally or possibly a cipher, for they were marked all over with dots. The lot was completed by a thin narrow strip of paper, covered with figures, possibly some account. Papers of three centuries ago were valuable, were it only for their style of writing. So I locked them up carefully before I went to bed, with the full intention to examine them thoroughly some day. The appearance of Gormala, just at the time when I had become possessed of them, seemed to connect them in some mysterious way the former weird experiences in which she had been so prominent a part that night i dreamed as usual though my dreaming was of scattered and incoherent characters Gormala's haunting presence and all that happened during the day especially the buying of the chests with the mysterious papers as well as what had taken place since my arrival at cruden was mixed up in perpetually recurring images with the beginning of my second sight and the death of sean mcloyd again and again and again i saw with the eyes of memory in fragmentary fashion the grand form of the fisherman standing in a blaze of gold and later fighting his way through a still sea of gold, of which the only release were the scattered piles of black rock and the pale face patched with blood. Again and again and again, the ghostly procession came up the steep path from the depths of the sea and passed in so silent measure into St. Olaf's will. Gormala's words were becoming a truth to me, that above and around me was some force, which was impelling to end all things of which I could take cognizance, myself amongst the rest. Here I stopped, suddenly arrested by the thought that it was Gormala herself, who had set my mind working in this direction and the words with which she had once warned and threatened me when after the night of Shawn's death we stood at winston point when the word is spoken all follows as ordained either the ministers of doom may be many and various and know they may have to gather in one from many ages and from the furthermost ends of the earth the next few days were delightfully fine and life was one long enjoyment on monday evening there was a sunset which i shall never forget the whole western sky seemed ablaze with red and gold great masses of cloud which had rolled up seemed like huge crimson canopies looped with gold over the sun thrown on the western mountains. I was standing on the Hawklaw, whence I could get a good view. Beside me was a shepherd whose flock patched the steep green hillside as with snow. I turned to him and said, Is not that a glorious sight? ay tis grand, but like all beauty o oh, the world, it fadeth into night and is only a mask for duel. You do not seem to hold a very optimistic opinion of things generally. He deliberately stoked himself from his snuff-mole before replying optimist nor pessimist am i aichi nor ochi i'm thinking the optimist and the pessimist are liars alike taking a parrot for the whole and so guilty of the logical sin O particularly ad universali sophism they miscate it as if there were anything but a lee in the misstatement O oh, fact facts is good enough for me and that let me tell ye is why i said that the splendour of the sunset is but a mask for duel look ye on the clouds are all golden and glory like a regiment going oot to battle but bid thee till the sun drops not only below the horizon but beyond the angle of refraction then what see ye all grim and gray and waste and dreariness, and duel like the army as it returns for the fetch there be some that think that because the sun sets fine and the night it will of necessity rise fine in the morn they seem not to ken that it has to traverse one half of the war ere it returns and that the averages of fine and foul of light and dark have to be maintained it may be that the days of fine follow any other fast or that the foul times linger likewise but in the end the figures of fine and foul toddle up in accord with their ordered sum what use is it then no to take heed o facts all i can that the fact of the morrow will differ from the facts of this night not in vain have i seen the wisdom and glory of the lord in sunsets and dawns without learning the lessons that they teach mon i tell ye that it's all these glories o pomp and pageantry all the lascivious luxuries o color and splendor that are the foreigners of disaster do ye no see the streaks of wind running in the sky from the east to the west do ye keen what they pretend i am telling ye that before the sun sets tomorrow morrow night there will be a ruin and disaster on all sides of scotland the storm will no begin here it is perhaps raging the new away to the east but it will come quick most likely with the rising of the tide and will be then to them as has no made safe with all they can hark ye the stillness shepherd-like he took no account of his own sheep whose ceaseless bleeding Sounding in every note of the scale broke the otherwise universal silence of nature. I'm thinking it's but the calm before the storm. Well, sir, I'm on gone. The yell saves time for the homecoming. And mark ye the collie. He looks at me reproachful, as though I had forgot the yells. My service to ye, sir. Good night, I answered. I hope I shall meet you again. I'm thinking the same myself. I have much enjoyed your pleasing converse. I hope it's money a crack we yet may have together. And so my philosophical egoist moved homewards, blissfully unconscious of the fact that my sole contribution to the pleasing converse was the remark that he did not seem optimistic. The whole mass of his charge moved homewards at even foot pace, the collie making frantic dashes here and there to keep his flock headed in the right direction. Presently I saw the herd pouring like a foam white noisy river across the narrow bridge over the water of Pruden. The next morning was fine, very hot, and of unusual stillness. Ordinarily I should have rejoiced at such a day, but the warning of the erudite and the philosophical shepherd made me mistrust. To me the worst of the prophecy business was that it became a disturbing influence today perforce because it was fine i had to expect that it would end badly about noon i walked over to winifold it being saturday i knew that the workmen would have gone away early and i wanted to have the house to myself so that i could go over it quietly and finally arrange a scheming of coloring i remained there some hours and then when i had made up my mind as to things i set off for the hotel in those few hours the weather had changed marvelously busy within the doors and thinking of something else. I had not noticed a change which must have been gradual however speedy the heat had increased till it was most oppressive and yet through it all there was now and then a cold shiver in the air which almost made me wince all was still so peter naturally still that occasional sounds seemed to strike the ear as disturbances the screaming of the seagulls had mainly ceased and the sound of breaking waves on rocks and shore was at variance with the silence over the sea the sheep and cattle were so quiet that now and again the move of a cow or the bleat of a sheep seemed strangely single as i stood looking out seaward there seemed to be rising a cold wind i could not exactly feel it but i knew it was there as i came down the path over the beach i thought i heard someone calling a faint far away sound at first i did not heed it as i knew it could not be anyone calling for me but when i found it continued i looked round there is at least a sufficient amount of curiosity in each of us to make us look round when there is a calling at first i could not locate it but then sight came to aid of sound and i saw out on the rock two women waving handkerchiefs the calling manifestly came from them It was not good for anyone to be isolated on a rock at a time when a storm was coming up and i knew well the rocks which these women were amongst i hurried on as quickly as i could for there was a good way to go to reach them near the south end of coonin bay there is a cluster of rocks which juts out from shore something like a cock spur beyond this cluster are isolated rocks many of them invisible at high tide these form part of a rocky system of the scares which spread out fan-like from the point of Winnieford. amongst these rocks The sea runs at change of tide, with great force. More than once, when swimming there, I had almost been carried away. But it was to be carried away amongst the rocks of the scares. I knew too well from the fate of the Sean McLeod. I ran as fast as I could down the sea pathway and along the boulder-strewn beach, till I came to the sand crags. As I ran, I could see from the quick inrush of waves, which, though not much at present, were gathering force every instant, that the storm which the shepherd had predicted was coming fast upon us. In such case, every moment was precious. Indeed, it might mean life and so in breathless haste I scrambled over the rocks behind the main body of the sand crags are two isolated rocks whose tops are just uncovered at high tide but which are washed away with every wave the near one of these is at low water not separated from the main mass but only joined by the narrow isthmus a few feet long over which the first waves of the turning tide rush vigorously for it is in the direct sweep of the flowing tide beyond this some ninety or a hundred feet off and separated by a deep channel is the outer rock always in island form from this spot, at low water, is the best view of the multitudinous rocks of the Skiers. On all sides they rise around you as you stand. The granite seeming yellow with the washing of the sea between the lines of high and low water. Above the latter, the black seaweed ceases growing. The island is so hidden by the higher rocks around it that it cannot be seen from any part of Cooden Bay or from Port Arrow across it. It can only be seen from the path leading to Winniefold. It was fortunate that someone had been passing just then, or the efforts of the poor woman to attract attention might have been in vain. When I reached the sand craves, I scrambled at once to the farthest point of the rocks, and came within sight of the isolated rock. Fortunately, it was low water. The tide had only lately turned, and was beginning to flow rapidly through the rocks. When I had scrambled on the second, last rock, I was only some thirty yards from the outermost one, and could see clearly the two women. One was stout and elderly, the other young and tall, and of exceeding beauty. The elderly one was in an almost frantic condition of fright, but the younger one, though her face was deadly pale, and i could see from the anxious glances which he kept casting round her that she was far from at ease was outwardly calm for an instant there was a curious effect as her pale face framed in a darker hair stood out against the foam of the tide treeing round the far-off rocks it seemed as though her head were dressed with white flowers as there was no time to lose i threw off my coat and shoes and braced myself for a swim i called as i did so what has become of your boat the answer came back in a clear young voice of manifestly american imitation it drifted away it has gone off amongst the rocks at the headland, I had for a moment an idea that my best plan might be to fetch it at first, but a glance at the distance and at the condition of the sea made me see the futility of any such hope already the waves were rising so fast that they were beginning to sweep over the crests of the rocks. Even that in front of me, where the women stood, was now topped by almost every wave. Without further delay, I jumped into the sea and swam across. The girl gave me a hand up the rock, and I stood beside them, the old lady holding tight to me whilst I held the younger one and the rising waves washing round our feet. For a moment or two I considered the situation and then asked them if either one of them could swim. The answer was in the negative. Then I said decisively that you must leave yourselves to me, and I shall swim across with each of you in turn. The old lady groaned, I pointed out that there was no other way, and that if we came at once it would not be difficult as the distance was short and the waves were not as yet troublesome. I tried to treat the matter as though it were a nice holiday episode, so that I might keep up their spirits, but all the same I felt gravely anxious. The distance to swim was only some thirty yards but the channel was deep and the tide was running strong moreover the waves were rising and we should have to get a foothold on the slippery seaweed covered rock however there was nothing to be done but to hasten and as i was considering how best i should take the old lady across i said what a pity it is that we haven't even a strong cord and that we could pull each other across the girl jumped at the idea and said there was plenty in the boat but of course it is gone still there should be a short piece here i took care to fasten the painter to a piece of rock the like a woman forgot to see that the other ends were fixed to the boat so that when the tide turned she drifted away with the stream the fast end should be here still when the coming wave had rolled on she pointed to a short piece of rope tied round a jutting piece of rock the seuss end swayed to and fro with every wave i jumped for it at once for i saw a possible way out of our difficulty even if the rope was short so was the distance and the strands raveled might cover the width of the channel i untied the rope as quickly as i could it was not an easy task for the waves made it impossible to work except for a few seconds at a time however i got it free at last and pulled it up it was only a fragment some thirty feet in length but my heart leaped for i saw my way clear now the girls saw it too and said it at once let me help you i gave her one end of the rope and we commenced simultaneously to ravel the piles it was a little difficult to do standing as we did upon the uneven surface of the rock with the waves rushing over our feet and the old lady beside us groaning and moaning and imploring us to hasten mostly she addressed herself to me as in some way the de sex machina and thus superior to the occasion where helpless women were concerned but occasionally the wail was directed to her companion who would then even in a time of stress and hurry spare a moment to lay a comforting hand on her as she said hush oh hush do not say anything dear you will only frighten yourself be brave and such phrases of kindness and endearment once the girl stopped as a wave bigger than the rest broke over her feet the old lady tried to still her shriek into a moan as she held on to her saying "Oh, miss anita oh miss anita plaintively over and over again at last we had raveled the four strands of rope and begun to knot them together the result was a rope long enough to reach from rock to rock though it was in places of very doubtful strength i made a big loop at one end of it and pulled it over the stout lady's head and under her armpits the elderly lady protested against going first but was promptly negatived by the young lady whose wishes on the subject were to me a foregone conclusion i took the loose end of rope and diving into the water swam across to the other rock upon the top of which i scrambled with some little trouble for the waves though not as yet in themselves dangerous made difficult any movement which exposed me to their force i assigned to the old lady to slide into the sea which assisted by the girl she did very pluckily she gasped and gurgled a good deal and clutched the loop with a death grip but i kept a steady even strain on the rope whose strength i mistrusted in a few seconds she was safely crossed and i spun her up by the hands up the rock when she was firmly fixed i gave her the loose end of the cord to hold and swam back with the loop the girl did not delay or give any trouble As she helped me up the rock, I could not but notice what strength she had. Her grip of my wet hand was firm and strong, and there was in it no quiver of anxiety. I felt that she had no care for herself, now that her companion was safe. I signaled to the old lady to be ready. The girl slipped into the water, I going in at the same time, and swimming beside her. The old lady pulled zealously. So absorbed was she in her work that she did not heed my warning cry not to pull too hard. She pulled as though on her strength rested the issue of life and death with the result that before we were a third of the way across, the rope broke and she fell sitting on the rock behind her. For an instant the girl was submerged and came up grasping, and the spasmodic impulse common at such moments she gripped me so hard round the neck that I felt we were both in danger. Before we sank, I reached though with some difficulty her hands away from me, so that when we rose, I had her at arm's length. For a few seconds, I held her so that she could get her breath, and as did I, so I could hear the old lady screaming out in an agonized way, Marjorie, 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 with her breath came back the girl's reasoning and she left herself to me passively as i held her by the shoulder a wave sweeping over the rock took us and in my sudden effort to hold her i tore away the gown at her throat it was quite evident her wits were all about her now for she cried out suddenly oh my brooch my brooch there was no time to waste and no time for questions when a man has to swim for two in a choppy sea and when the other one is fully clothed woman there is little to waste on strength or effort so i swam as i had never done before and brought her up the rock where the old lady helped her to scramble to her feet when i had got my breath i asked her about her brooch she replied i would not have lost it for all in the world it was an heirloom was it gold i asked for i wanted to know its appearance as i intended to die for it yes she said and without another word i jumped into the channel again to swim to the outer rock for it was close there it must have been lost and i could die from there the channel between the rocks has a sandy bottom and it would be easy to see the gold as i went, she called out to me to come back not to mind that she would rather lose it a thousand times tend to have me run any risk and so forth things mightily pleasant to hear when spoken by such lips for myself i had only exultation i had got off both the women without accident and the sea was at yet not such as to give any concern to the good swimmer i dived for the rock and got bottom easily the depth being only ten or twelve feet and after a few seconds looking round me i saw the gleam of gold when i had risen and swam to the inner rock the two women pulled me up to my feet when i had given her the bouche the young lady pressed it to her lips and turning to me with tears in her eyes said oh you brave man you kind brave man i would not have lost this for anything i call mine thank you that you have saved our lives and that you have saved this for me then with girlish impulsiveness and unpremeditation she put up her face and kissed me that moment with her wet face to mine was the happiest of my life chapter seven